Today's reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands... Then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord... Leave me alone for crying. <laughs> Leave me alone. Is that better? Can you hear at the back? Is that okay? Why don't we say a prayer? Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful and so thankful and so privileged for your word that you are such a wonderful God and as we heard about this morning, all-powerful, all-knowing, and yet you speak to your people. And so we thank you for your word this morning and we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be people who would listen to your word. Strengthen us, we pray. Help us to be better people for you, we pray. And as we look back in time to your people, help us to be encouraged and strengthened, but also convicted of the things that we can achieve in your name under the power of your spirit. Speak to us, we pray. In our Lord's name we ask. Amen. Well, that was a great... uh, Thank you for reading that. I didn't hear the reading, but it sounded great. Uh, but uh, looking at Nehemiah, a title, I'm not very good at titles, but uh, if you want a title for the book of Nehemiah, it would be something like this. How God keeps his people until his king comes. How God keeps his people until his king comes. Well, let me explain. hundred years gap, and then the New Testament comes. And during those 400 years, Israel had no king and no prophets. It's a time when Israel were waiting for God's king, the Messiah, to come. And so Nehemiah is about God keeping or preparing his people until his king comes, which is Jesus Christ, obviously. And it's what they are to be, to do, to remain faithful until he comes. And really, that's no different from God's people today, is it, Christians? We are people who are waiting for our king to return. And so the principles are no different. So Nehemiah teaches God's people today how God keeps us until his king, Jesus Christ, returns. 
how to remain faithful until that time comes. And one way which God does that is through ministry. That is, he calls and equips Christians to do his will, to carry out his plan of salvation. And we see a great example of that in the first chapter of Nehemiah. God wants a particular task. Ezekiel prophesied. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar died, there was a power shift in the Middle East. Persia became the superpower. And they encouraged captured, they were different from Nebuchadnezzar. They encouraged captured nations to return to their land. And slowly, the Jewish people returned to their homeland and to Jerusalem, which many of them had never seen. And they began to rebuild, particularly the temple, as we heard from the book of Ezra. But the rebuilding came to a halt because there was no leadership and lack of organization. And people, if you read uh, the prophets Haggai, the people were more concerned for their own well-being. That is, they were more concerned with danger of being unfaithful to God and being dispersed as a nation. So there's the need. The city needs rebuilding. The spiritual life of the people need rebuilding. But first, the wall is needed to defend the city. There's the need. Secondly, Nehemiah's motivation for ministry. Nehemiah was one who hadn't returned to Jerusalem. So why his desire to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem? And notice, his main concern is not the building. Look what he says. I question them about the remnant. His main concern was God's people. And he's told, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and great distress. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. God's people are in disgrace and God's city is in ruins. Now that may not sound very spiritual to us, but to a faithful Jew, if God's people and God's city are dishonored, then God is seen to be dishonored. And that is Nehemiah's motivation for rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. It's God's honor. Have a look at his response. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And he's not the only one to weep over God's city and God's people, is he? The prophets did. And 450 years later, another did. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Paul the Apostle wept for the lost, Philippians chapter 3. People with the heart of God weep for God's people when they suffer or when they're in disgrace because ultimately God is dishonored. If people don't come to Jesus Christ, that dishonors God. It's a dishonor to him. And those with the heart of Jesus weep for the lost because ultimately it dishonors God. If somebody is not walking with God, that dishonors God. The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, was once told by his workers, his, his evangelists, we've tried everything to reach people, but we failed. And William Booth replied, try tears, try tears. Do you as a Christian weep for the lost in New Zealand? Do you weep for the church in New Zealand? 
happily in New Zealand? Do you weep for the unfaithfulness in the church, the lack of true biblical teaching and true biblical living? A church which seems to care more for the culture's honour than for God's honour. Do you weep for lack of compassion for the gospel and how little we Christians today are willing to sacrifice and go to the ends of the earth, as it were, for the gospel? Nehemiah is going to leave his comfortable, secure and prosperous position amongst people he's known all his life and he's going to go into the unfamiliar where there's poverty and danger and unpopularity and as you see when we get to chapter 5, strong opposition. Would you do that? Most Christians in New Zealand today wouldn't dream of putting ministry before a comfortable life before their holidays, or their houses, or their finance, or whatever. I'm the same. When God is dishonoured in the media, yes, it irks us as Christians, but it doesn't matter a lot to us, really. Well, it mattered to Nehemiah. And if we want to be used by God for ministry, then we must pray to God to rebuild our hearts, to give us a desire for the lost and maybe to weep for them, and a desire for God's honour, not our honour, not the church's honour, so to speak, but God's honour. And it begins with our own spiritual life in Christ. That's where the rebuilding begins. That's the second thing. Thirdly, Nehemiah prays for the rebuilding of the wall, verses 5 to 11. If God shows you, as a Christian or this church, a need for some ministry, then prayer is what we do before anything. And I'm so encouraged by the prayer in this church of St. Stephen's. It is very encouraging. And I want you to notice four things about this prayer of Nehemiah. Four things. One, Nehemiah acknowledges his dependence on God to, to enable him to do this task. Verse 5, have a look at verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. Humanly speaking, Nehemiah can't do this task. There's too many problems. There's too many obstacles. He holds a very important position. He is the chief steward, the chief wine taster, the chief everything among servants in that, to the king. And a king wouldn't normally let a person with the status of Nehemiah, they wouldn't normally... Bibles, look at chapter 2, verse, verse 2, very quickly. He's very much afraid to ask the king, can he go? Servants lost their heads for less. And so he's frightened. He also hasn't the skills for this task. He's served royalty all his life. He's never got his hands dirty. He's never seen a building site. Nehemiah... Organize a construction site? Nor does he know the city, nor the people. He doesn't know them. Where will he get the equipment and the resources and the money to build? It is a massive task. It's beyond him. But verse 5, God is awesome. He is all-powerful. And, verse 10, listen, they are your people, O Lord. They are your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Please give your servants success. Nehemiah can't do it, but God can. And so Nehemiah will work and pray and do and sacrifice, and under God it will be done. 
He depends on God. The ministry that you're doing, or a ministry that you may feel called to, whether it's leading a Bible study or overseas mission, as we're talking about this morning, or whether it's a one-to-one ministry or Sunday school or inviting people to church or ringing people to encourage them in the congregation when they're a little bit down, or when just speaking to people, visiting the sick or whatever. The fruit of that ministry is not dependent on you. Let me say that again. The fruit of that ministry is not dependent on you. That is God's territory. In our ministry as a church, as a new diocese, we face many, many difficulties. We lack resources. We lack buildings. We lack finance. And we lack workers for the harvest. We desperately need people to reach the lost and minister to people. We face many tasks. But if if our hearts are in it, God will do it. We work. We pray. We give. We sacrifice. But he will do it. He will bring spiritual fruit. The workers will come. We will find the resources. Maybe not as soon as we like. Maybe over the next five, ten years, doesn't matter. But he will do it. The fruit is his domain. It's not ours to worry about. Notice secondly, in this prayer, Nehemiah acknowledges God's people had sinned against him. Verse 6. I confess the sins that we Israelites including those of myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you. We, we did not obey your commandments, your decrees, and your laws that you gave to your servant Moses. The city is in ruins, and Israel is spiritually bankrupt because of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Jeremiah, the prophet, says why the, why the people were in Israel in, in, uh, in, in that country. Chapter 2, verse 13. They have forsaken me. Jeremiah says the people forsook God. They worshipped other gods. God's people were to put God first in all of life. They were to live for him, but they didn't. They forsook him. They ignored God in life. Now that may, may seem a minor issue in our New Zealand climate today. It certainly does. The fact that people ignore God or ignore Jesus Christ or ignore the Bible or whatever is not much of an issue really. To God it is massive. It is the issue with God. God created us. If we live life ignoring God, that is the greatest insult. That is the greatest sin that one can ever commit, ignoring our creator. And it's not just others. Nehemiah says, we all, including myself, if I don't live for God, I have sinned personally against him. Israel's sin wasn't that they offended other people, wasn't that they offended other nations. Nehemiah says, against you, O Lord. Not living for God offends God. But here in Nehemiah, it goes deeper. It was God's people who had been unfaithful. God's people. How? Ignoring God's word. Verse 7, we haven't obeyed the commands you gave Moses. They didn't listen to, nor did they heed the word of God. 
And as I thought about it again this morning, isn't that the church's sin today? Disregarding God's word? The word of God clearly says do, and we don't. The word of God clearly says don't, and we do. And we evangelicals mustn't sit on our high horse and say, well, it's those liberal leaders who did that. It's those who are to blame for moving away from the orthodox Christian faith that has led to this sad spiritual state in the church. It's those people. They're to blame. No. No, that's not the case. Just as Nehemiah included himself, so it is with us. You see, it doesn't only take people who disregard God's word for the church to decline. It takes those who do believe to do nothing or keep compromising. And many of us evangelicals have to say that that's us. One, we haven't stood firm when we should have. And two, I think we haven't focused enough on the future and thinking of raising up young leaders for the future and good ones, faithful ones. And we must acknowledge that, confess it, repent of it as Nehemiah did, and then be determined to do something. How? Well, commit ourselves to some form of ministry. You as an individual Christian, me as an individual Christian. Help to teach if you can. Help to disciple, help to encourage, help to support others who are doing ministry, whatever it may be. In particular, in our situation, stimulate young people to become well-equipped, well-equipped ministers for the next generation. Well-equipped Christians for the next generation so that your children will have a church which is faithful because we've put the work in for 20 or 30 years. They will have a church and belong to a church which is faithful. Recognize and commit ourselves to rebuilding part of the wall. You rebuilding your part of the wall personally. Us as a church rebuilding our part of the wall. Our diocese rebuilding our part of the wall. That's what Nehemiah did. He committed himself and he did it. Thirdly, Nehemiah persevered in prayer. He didn't just, it wasn't like me, didn't get excited for a day or two and then it faded away. No, go back to verse 1. In the month of Kislev. Now go to chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan. In the Jewish calendar, Kislev is November and December. Nisan is not a, a Japanese car, as you may have thought. It is at March and April in the Jewish calendar. Four months. Verse 6. Please hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants. Now imagine Nehemiah a thousand miles from Jerusalem, from God's people. He weeps for them, and he weeps for Jerusalem. And he prays night and day, week after week, day after day, month after month. And I think that he prays, this is only my own thought, I think he prays this intensely to God because there was no one else he could turn to. There was nobody else he could, nobody. He knows something's got to be done. He wants to do something, but he doesn't know how, and he doesn't know what. At this point, there is no one to help him. Only God. There are issues facing our church and our diocese, now and for the future. Big issues facing us. We've just heard one, but we could name many. 
the work that's got to be done for the future. Where do we go? On our knees for a start. As I say, I'm very grateful that St. Stephen's appears to be a very prayerful church. Well, keep praying. And it may take a while. So be it. Doesn't matter. There may be something in your life right now, some ministry you're contemplating, or some difficulty you're facing, or there's maybe somebody here in a situation which you can't just you just can't see a way out of. Nobody else knows. You know something's got to be done. You're willing, but what? Well, pray. Pray. Not for five minutes. Night and day, months if necessary. Put it to prayer. Fourth, very quickly. Nehemiah, I want you to see that Nehemiah prayed with great confidence. Why? Because he knew that God keeps his promises. Verse 8. He remembers what God told Moses. If you are unfaithful, he said, I will scatter you among the nations. And he did. Verse 15. The wall was completed. The wall was completed. And that's the confidence that we have when praying about ministry. God wants you, as an individual Christian, involved in some form of ministry. That's one way he keeps his church faithful until his king returns. Ephesians chapter 4. God gave to his church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of, what's the next word? Ministry. He wants you involved in some ministry. doesn't have to be upfront ministry. In fact, most of the ministry that's done in the church, I've learned over the years, is done in the back scenes. It's done in the back work. It's behind the scenes ministry. And it will bear fruit. If God's in it, it will achieve what God wants. And I emphasize that because you're no different from me. We're, we often feel that we're not seeing fruit from, my, from our ministry. I do. As a preacher, I often forget God's promise that faith comes from hearing the word. Romans chapter 10. I always forget it. But God keeps his promises. And it will be the same with you and your ministry. You may be beavering away at something now which you may, you may think is a very small ministry. Behind the scenes ministry. You may be praying for your non-Christian friend or your non-Christian family member. You may be a person who visits and encourages others in the church by ringing them or praying for them or seeing how they are. That may be you. You may be praying behind the scenes and you often think you're achieving nothing. But God doesn't waste any ministry. Any ministry. He doesn't waste anything. And others may not know about it, but you know about it and God knows about it. Others don't know. And God is at work. Well, this then is God preparing Nehemiah for ministry. Well, how does it sit with you this morning? What walls need rebuilding in your life? Maybe you're a person who's not living for God in your life at all. And it's your life that needs rebuilding. Well, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Start. 
And Confucius said, hate to, hate to quote Confucius, but he said the, 10, 000, the start of a 10,000-mile journey begins with the first step. Start. As a Christian, what spiritual walls need rebuilding in your life? Perhaps your faith has grown cold. I know the feeling. Perhaps your prayer life has diminished. Or you're just meandering through your Christian life with no aim, not doing anything, just coming to church on Sunday. start to rebuild what about this church are there walls that have been knocked down or forgotten neglected not used for a long time maybe hear what the spirit is saying to the church let me pray heavenly father thank you for your faithful servant Nehemiah Thank you for the courage that you gave him. Thank you for the heart that you gave him. And we thank you most importantly for the Lord that you sent, who sacrificed everything, who suffered everything. Help us, we pray, to be good servants of your kingdom. And I pray for people here who may be struggling with difficult issues. Help them to come to you, Father, we pray. And may your blessing be upon us to honour our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.